Hello and welcome back to the World Music Podcast. I'm your host, Will Marsh, here on episode 19. I'm excited to share my wonderful interview with my guest, Bahman Saram. Bahman is a violinist, composer, producer, and singer-songwriter whose music ties together many cultures and expressions into an ecstatic celebration of life. Based in San Diego, California, Bauman has won over audiences with his passion and unlimited energy that vibrates through his performances and diverse musical palette. Well, Bauman's musical versatility knows no bounds and can't be categorized into a single genre. No matter what style he's playing, whether funk, jazz fusion, Middle Eastern, folk or rock, his improvisational skills, raw energy, and natural instinct for melody leaves audiences with a feeling that they have experienced something unique and rare. One of the things that came up in this conversation with Bauman is the early years of his childhood, which were in Iran at the peak of the Cultural Re- Revolution. And for him, learning music in that time was almost an act of of rebellion and standing up for something that he believed in, this ability to express and pursue the arts. And I think this topic is just still so relevant for uh, so many parts of the world. As I've been editing this interview, there's been historic protests in Iran, fighting for basic freedoms under that regime. So the conversation that Bauman and I have about that and how that affected his artistry is something quite profound that I am excited to share with the world. This was originally recorded on March 19th, 2022. So I will let you jump into our interview here. Thank you. Really excited today to have Bahman Saram on the show. Um, he's a good friend from San Diego, and I'm excited to just get to chat and, and dive into more of your work and artistry, Bahman. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Will. Good to be with you on the party. Mm. Well, I think I want to start with a recent work that you premiered in 2019, and it's titled Refugee Songs, A Musical Journey, which was a theater performance. And I just have a sense that this work covers a lot of your background and identity as an artist and I think it'd be a great way to start our conversation yeah um yeah it seems like so long ago obviously with with all the worlds been going through the last two years but yeah just before uh the pandemic we were lucky enough to uh, win a grant from from the UCSD Critical Refugee Studies Collective, and they're still around. Look them up. Mm-hmm. Wonderful organization based out of the UC, I shouldn't say UCSD, based out of the UC system. So they're one of the organizations there that's run by five professors from all the UC schools, mm-hmm. from uh, Northern California down to Southern California. And so put together a proposal. And, and that story is interesting in and of its own, because I think thematically I've had some time because of all the time we've all spent at home the last couple of years, like really reflecting on what refugee songs was like, I always like to, whenever there's successes, whether it's daytime career or musical career of 25 years, like whenever anything of success happens, what I try to meditate on um, afterwards is 
Like, what did I learn from that? Not just from the success, but like what got me to the success. And I mm-hmm. think the overall theme I learned was it, it, as cliche as it sounds, it's the power of saying yes. And, and, and that sounds like something a motivational speaker would talk to you about, but like really, truly will like mm-hmm. that. There were so many opportunities to say no. And um, the story of it is that we actually did a show in 2018, all from this dream I had of, I'd been with, my band had been with me over 16 years and we're doing great and we're doing our thing. Six albums under our belt, toured the country as many times. And um, I said, hey, I have an idea just for something different. We're all getting up there in age, like before we get too, too old, uh, let's do a musical story about my family's story of leaving Iran in the middle of Tehran, in the middle of a revolution. And let's have music tell the story. Like, I'm not a writer. So, like, let's have our songs or we'll write new songs to tell the story. Imagine a musical that tells this story. Hmm. And it was really cool. Like, that was the first thing was, like, the, the idea of even bringing that up to the band. And I'm glad I did because it was a resounding yes. And we literally worked for from 2017, about a year because it was like putting on your own pilot, right? There was no help. There was no, it was just us. So we, there was a lot of after work, after kids are sleeping, um, writing sessions and we did it. And then when it premiered in 2018 um, at the Spiritual Center in San Diego, there was a professor in the audience. This professor from the UC schools, member of the Critical Refugee Studies Collective, who is also a friend of many years. And she wrote me an email the next day. And she said, this idea you have and the way you guys did it is super cool. By coincidence, Critical Refugee Studies Collective has this grant. We have a week. We've got a week left for the deadline. Hmm. Let me help you write a proposal. Like, I really think you, if you had some budget behind this idea, you could expand this to be not just about your family, but what is this journey of being an immigrant, refugee, however you left your homeland, this idea of leaving the homeland and coming to America and all the things you go through in that journey. What if we told everyone's story? And I was like, sure. Like that was like the first yes. It was like, sure. You're saying you're writing the grant. I just have to give you data. I'll give you data. Here's the data. Mm-hmm. She wrote it with me and we got the grant. And then a year later, we did refugee songs and a, a musical journey. And wow. uh, it was really cool. It was a really just amazing experience. And uh, like by far, Will, like you and I are friends and we go back like in a very humbling way, but and in, in a good way, really the peak of anything I've done. In, in my musical career. And that's not just an about me statement. It's a statement on like, doesn't matter what level of musicianship you are, and where music is in your life, whether you're a professional, you're a part-time professional like me, who used to be a professional <laughs> full-time, like you can still find your peaks. And that was absolutely a peak. And I don't hmm. think it'll ever be replaced. Beautiful. Wow. I love that, how that came to be, you know, just coming from that inspiration to pursue an idea that led to it evolving and re- having a broader story to tell. I love it. And I think that brings me to this idea that, you know, you, you started learning violin at a pretty young age in Iran at this time that this revolution's going on. And that shift occurred as you were getting into music. And how did that 
kind of shape what art means to you and what music means to you and like could you imagine if that didn't happen like you know how yeah what are some reflections you can share on that that kind of experience that was very profound as you're jumping into music i've never heard a question so well put together well kudos mm -hmm. to that because it's 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 processing in my brain as we speak because i'd actually never made that connection until you just mentioned it yeah mm -hmm. i was three and a half the revolution had hit and crazy as it may seem the the kind of rule as the country started changing the home and this is obviously not anything i have direct well i have some direct memories but this is obviously the stories of heard through parents and grandparents so one of those rules, believe it or not, as a country was going from being more democratic to however you want to call it, and it is now, in that transition, like the first rule was, you can't listen to music from the West anymore. And we used to. Like, I remember, like, uh, people listening to Michael Jackson and listening to jazz from America. I remember, my parents remember, in Iran, people listening to this amazing music. So long story short, at three and a half, because violin is the um, national pastime instrument of Iran. Like if there's one, actually it's two, it's violin and piano. So that music was also playing all the time. Mm -hmm. So apparently when I'm three and a half, I all of a sudden get this wish in my head of, I want to learn violin at three and a half. Normally that would have been fine. But literally one of the things they cut off was the West does music lessons. You don't need music lessons all you need to do is learn this Islamic music and that's all you'll ever need. Literally, this, mm. is, this is the thinking. So, and coming to your point, and, and I'm getting there eventually, but yes. So here I was having to learn it under this kind of, this, this, this darkness. And apparently the way the story goes is, so you weren't allowed to have music teachers. Hmm. My mom, being who she is, uh, said, well, I'll be damned. If during a revolution, I'm not going to give my kid something he's asking for, which would only help him, like with mm. like bombs going off around us, like what could be better for a kid? And my mom sings and, and uh, uh, plays a little guitar. So there was always music in the house. Mm. She went and found, literally right out of the storybooks, she went and found this like 88-year-old guy in the village. And she's like, you got to come. I heard about you and you got to come teach my three and a half year old. He's like, ma'am, like <laughs> not allowed to have music lessons. Mm. My mom, again, being smart lady, she's, oh, who said it's music lessons? Coming over for tea once a week. You're a friend of the family. And, uh, Will, that's how I got my music lessons for like half a year. Now, I didn't know it at the time that it was under this cloak, but there was a, there's a thread there. So then you leave. Then we went to Vienna. Didn't touch violin in Vienna. I remember clearly just because we had moved. We had to learn German. It was the first country my dad was able to find a job. There's no time for lessons or anything. Then we came to America, started uh, at that time elementary school orchestra and then middle school and kept going down that road. But, but honestly, to your question, which is so beautifully put that I guess I'm still processing, um, that's what the experience was like. It was learned. Violin was learned under this cloak, under this, this uh, thing. But I do think, to answer your question, one of the things that came out of it was... Then when I got the opportunity and then really got the thirst to, as I got older, to not just want to play classical music, what is it like to be in a band? I want my own band, record label, touring the country on your own. And you know, through those things, 
I think it's back to the roots of how violin started. Some part of me knows that I had to fight to learn music. Like music was something my family like had to fight to get me under that kind of thing. So when I got older, I think that was my thing is like in a very beautiful way. Like when I get the opportunity to be up here, it is going to take everything from me because it was so hard to get. So I think that's, that's my lesson, I guess. Wow. Yeah. It's an amazing story. And I think it kind of leads me to my next question, you know, following this chain of your path in music. Um, once you got to the States, you started learning Western classical music on violin, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then there was a point where you kind of found improvisation. And from what I sense, you kind of left practicing and studying Western classical behind. And when you made that shift, was improvisation just something that you kind of intuitively and self-taught got into? Or did you then start studying jazz and you know, a approaching music in a different way. Um, because to me, a lot of your spirit is, is a very like, you're, you're just very raw and alive in yourself when you improvise. And that's why I'm asking, was it more of a self-taught study um, from that transition? It was a self-taught study uh, medicinal requirement at a time in my life where I needed it. I needed to be free. So when I went to college, I, uh, when I started college, I should say, um, I left classical behind, like my classical violin, I left at home and I went to live on campus and my mom's like, why aren't you taking the classical? I'm like, I'm done with Mozart. Like since I've been, we came to the country when I was seven, eight, you know, at that time, 11 years of recitals and learning Vivaldi, by the way, never did it well, never practiced anywhere near what I should have. Like I, I got through being in a private conservatory learning West. I got through, but I was not the top student by any means whatsoever. I think I found myself in a place that I did feel like I belonged. Never quite, I enjoyed it. I remember like when I first learned um, Mendelssohn's Concerto F sharp minor, like that melody to this day is life to me. Like classical, don't get me wrong, has its place in my roots, right? But improvisation is where I found freedom. Freedom, which wouldn't come if I didn't have the discipline of classical, of having a conservatory teacher be like, that's not how you hit those three notes. These three notes need this, and these three notes don't need that. That led to, I think that led to being able to be free. I think it would have been harder to be free. And let me tell you how that freedom came. I was 18 on campus, violins at home. My roommate had heard about my past musical uh, interludes in life said, he, you know, there's this guy who actually plays piano. He's from the area here. You guys should hook up to this day, aging myself, 29 years later, my best friend who I just talked to actually just before this podcast. Mm. Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, you play violin. Well, I'm like, I did play violin. It's at home. Cause now no, next time you're home, bring it. I'm like, ah, bring it for what? Like, honestly, Mozart, Vivaldi kind of done. Oh, no, no, no. I was, I was trained. I was jazz trained. Oh, interesting. So what does that mean to me? Just bring your violin. Next spring break, I brought the violin. At that time, not knowing what a pickup was, right? I was a classically trained violin, like yeah. no pickup. Um, we met in the student lounge, which had this old, probably out of tune, rickety piano. And Chris sat down and he goes, okay, 
So here's the deal with you classical guys. I'm going to play something. It's in the key of, I think, G. That's all I need you to do. I just need you to stay in the key of G. I'm like, yeah, but where are the notes? He goes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The notes don't matter. Just stay in the key of G. And he started playing, and I don't quote me, maybe it's C. Uh, Eric Clapton's You Look Wonderful Tonight. Nobody's singing, but Chris just playing da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I just, it hit me. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the moment I'm like, oh, I know this song. You mean I get to play something on this instrument that I know so well now, but not in a box? Hmm. Freedom. Freedom. That was the day. That's how improv and really anything I've done since has had, like you said, you've noticed since the days you've known me, years you've known me, even if it's a structured song that the band's playing, or if you listen to any of our records, of course there's a structure there. You have to have yeah. a bridge, a chorus sometimes, even if it's purely instrumental. But there's a rawness and improv that I insisted on ever since that day in the piano lounge. Beautiful. Wow, it's a really pretty fascinating journey. I mean, you went from an environment where you literally weren't allowed to study music mm -hmm. to then getting to study music, learning it, and then finding even a whole other level of, these are like paths of freedom, you know? <laughs> like first just like playing the violin and learning it was like, stepping into this freedom and then learning classical and studying music lessons another path and then stepping away from that and and just making music in another level of being free so i i just think it's very cool to look back at those stages to what has brought you to who you are today as a musician the rawness you see me play with with you is is literally that you just mm. defined the reason for the rawness. Mm. The rawness is like this, this ability to, to release things that a childhood such as mine and people have had it a lot worse. I am not saying that in a self-centered way, mm. but having been through everyone's perspective is their own reality, you know? And for me, that's where the rawness, the rawness is like, every time I get that chance to be free, let's go. Yeah. Because for the first four, five, six, seven years of my life, it wasn't like that. Yeah. Yep. Really cool. Well, I think now I'm I'm kind of get to, I guess it's the million dollar question to this show. It's called the World Music Podcast, and mm -hmm. I think that term is just kind of interesting, kind of ironic. And I love to ask a lot of my guests, you know, what does that term mean to you? World music. I mean, what does that mean? <sighs> So many things. Well, that's a good question. For me, my definition of it is blending. And I want to be careful about the word fusion because I know that has a very strong meaning in jazz. And that's not what I do, nor my band has done for 16 years. I think we've, we've, we've balanced between those lines, maybe, but I would never call us a fusion, a world fusion band. But we, we are, I guess, in the sense of like world music to me is what started really helping the band take off was you have to stand out, right? We all know that in this business. Yeah. And for me, it was like my guitarist now of 18 years, you know, told me day one, he's like, okay, so we have this really unique thing is that we have a Middle Eastern violin player who likes to play Eric Clapton and Stevie Wonder. Like we got to leverage this. I've never like that was our first practice. And that to me is where world music for us, which was okay. Hey, can I can I teach you guys an old Persian melody 
Like I'm talking from the 1930s. I don't even know if we actually know the real name of it. Like the stories have passed on, but we're not sure of the name of it. Teach the band the melody. Once they have the melody down and they know the Iranian way, the very swing six, eight that the piano and violin do with that song, let's turn it on its head. And then Reverend Stickman comes up with playing um, a riff in the background that obviously goes with the chords, but the riff is like funky and bluesy. Hmm. And then he would turn on the loop pedal and just like let that sit. And we'd see how we could take the melody and literally layer that on top. Hmm. That's it. I, this answer won't be as long. To me, that's, that's me doing world music is literally like bringing these things. And it doesn't have to be from the place I'm from. The band has gotten to the place now where like, hey, I heard this Cuban song on NPR the other day. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's a classic. That's from like the 18 or whatever it's from. Let's, again, learn the melody. Let's honor it. Let's not. All right, now what can we do with that? And sometimes, by the way, that turns into doing a version of that song. And sometimes it spawns us to to literally write our own song, but honoring that feel. Like sometimes people hear one or two songs which are literally designed to be bossa nova. I am not a bossa nova violinist. I don't write bossa nova music. But we heard something in practice when they were like, wouldn't it be cool to write a bossa nova song, but have the Persian violin player doing like Persian scales on it? That'd be cool. Hmm. That's world music to me. Great. Very, very concrete idea of, yeah, taking this a traditional music of the world and bringing it into a new context. And um, yeah, that's a great approach because it kind of, I love your definition because it hints to the idea that like there are all these parts of the world where people have been around a long time and they've formed a sense of what music is to them, but they don't think of that as world music. That's just (laughs) the music that they know. Right. And then this whole idea of world music seemed to kind of come when the the world was growing in terms of information and from a western standpoint we're looking at wor- music from other parts of the world and so we got to call it something oh it's world music it's not like from europe it's world music <laughs> but you know like the old story is like you go to like a musician in ethiopia and you're like what's world music he's like james brown you know so um <laughs> yeah great. your your definition really kind of says a lot between that's good the 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 simplicity of it so thank you i always oh no, yeah that was that. That, that was a good perspective to have with you that was a good moment i had another show where my guest you know studied in Ghana a bit, uh, you know, West African drumming in Ghana. And he was like, you know, I I had an iPod and I was showing these guys music and I was, you know, I was playing them like the Foo Fighters and they were like, it was like heavy, like this is world music for them. This is world music. Hey, listen, it goes back to our earlier conversation. Um, I'm not kidding you. When I say like, you think Michael Jackson hit it big here. Like why are some artists, movies or music, big in the world, almost bigger than they are in the US or just as, just as big. And that would be surprising to you. Well, it's that paradigm you just nailed. You nailed with both the Ethiopian story and your last guest. And that is, well, to an American culture, seeing a guy get up there and dance and do literally physically with his body stuff they've never seen before, that US has never seen before, that's one thing. Hmm. But in a suppressed culture, in Iran to see somebody doing that 
imagine what that tastes like. It's like never having tasted salt in your food. Hmm. Like yeah. I think to Ryan's Michael Jackson was like, oh my God, that's salt. Or maybe it's sugar. He was so yeah. smooth, right? Wow. And that's literally why to this day is one of my idols is because mm. like Iran was like, listen to this music from the other side of the world, world music, Billy wow. Jean, world music. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love it. This is great. Hmm. Well, you know, you're talking about your group and I'm just curious about, it seems like a pretty intimate group. It seems like you guys have kind of formed your own way of approaching structure and composition and then allowing for improvisation. And I'd just love to hear more about, you know, maybe if you want to talk about recent work or just your work in general and how mm -hmm. this group serves as a catalyst for your artistic expression. Well, I think two groups. So Evolution Station um, is now this new definition uh new is is too strong of a word this evolving which is actually honest to goodness why we decided to name this group because evolution is this coming together of the guitarists i've been with for 18 years and the last bass player i had in the full band uh the six-piece band that did refugee songs that refugee songs was me kind of retiring the idea of meeting after all these years to have a band be huge and how do like I have instrumentally instrumentally, just a number of people. And that led to writing in a new, well, how do I do this with just three? And I picked my all-star team and we've been together for a while now. And so evolution is that evolution. The reason it's named that is we are all doing stuff out of our comfort zone. Now it is becoming our comfort zone. Don't get me wrong, but like we are on purpose pushing each other. And that's why the group is named what it is. Hmm many examples of that. Now, when I bring them a Persian melody, instead of like, do it, do it the same way. Now I bring them a Persian melody and uh, the guitarist, who's now an amazing loop artist, is like, huh, I think I can find a loop for the middle section. Oh, do tell. Let's play it. Let's learn the melody, the chords. Violin takes the lead in most Persian songs. Violin has the melody as if it's the singer. Mm -hmm. There is no middle section usually in the classical songs, the, the classic Persian tunes. It's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So now, as opposed to the old ways, uh, Stickman like, tries to find, and then when he finds a loop we like, we're like, oh, we got to jam with that. Like, hmm. keep that on. And then now we have, again, there's that idea of being both structured and unstructured. The structure is you're going to have a middle section, which we will not say 32 bar 64. It's going to be whatever we feel on that moment and stage. Just know there's going to be this guitar riff, which he's going to loop live every time. Now it's the same melody, but it's not pre-recorded. Mm -hmm. the, the, the challenge and the thrill in being up there together is like, oh, I wonder how he's going to play tonight. Like, okay, just listen to the loop. And so we become kind of this live looping trio and we don't do that for every song. Don't get me wrong, but we do it enough that it's, it's, it just feels so good. It feels like we're expanding ourselves. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Trios are a nice combination. There's a lot of, a lot of possibilities for layers of sound, but also a lot of freedom. And it sounds like you guys have been playing for a while and really have that chemistry and, you know, that makes it even more fun to, to work with. Yeah. 
and it's it's um so you asked about kind of like what's coming out of that so what's cool is my other kind of rule with this group was this has to be a we not a me right previous was me writing songs coming to the band and saying um i'm missing a closing or i'm I, this needs a bridge and i love that process but again i did that this is that the whole th- uh, theme of freedom i needed a new type of freedom and so that came from, no, no, we're no longer going to do that. I bring part of a song. Maybe it's just a melody. You bring that chorus chords you brought for something, but said you didn't have a verse at all. Like you have no idea what this song's about. That's how I went. And over the last three, four years, that's what it's been. Like everything we do on stage, literally a third, a third, a third of us is in that. And so getting to play that on stage, knowing like, it's not all me. I didn't have to bring this whole thing. I get to experience a third of being part of this and seeing the beauty of my brothers during the bridge, remembering the day Stickman came up with that bridge part, like the joy of that on stage, there's nothing like it. Hmm. That's beautiful to have that type of um, group and, and expression. Yeah. Wow. So I want to reflect a little bit on just, different stages of the artistic journey and for you it seems you've had a time of really being immersed in in music and touring and kind of having that be your full-time thing your identity to then okay it's a it's a part-time thing I have a day job you know I'm starting a family and throughout these stages you know there's always at least for me there's always like some tension navigating pushing through these these phases and and how do we stay true to keeping our art inspiring and relevant and fluid and adaptable and just kind of a personal question of like what has been one of your ways of of keeping the music joyful and inspiring and free from all of the outer, you know, we all have to make money and be a part mm-hmm. of this material world. And, and a lot of times music can or cannot um, meet those or adapt to all of those needs. So yeah, what's just a way that you've kept it fresh mm. through all of these changes? A world you know very well, my good friend. Mm. Kirtan has mm. been. Kirtan and the Bhakti Fest that you and I have in the middle of a desert Hey, Will, hey, who are you playing with today? Who are you playing with? That experience of the Bhakti Fest of the last 10 years and that world music, that mm. world of music and connection is how I navigate. What do I mean? Evolution Station, I play with two professionals who have to get paid to play. They paid their dues with me the first 16 years of coffee house gigs and write. Like, I have to honor that. Like I enjoy honoring that and saying, Mm -hmm. no, our band is now a 17 year band and this is what we deserve. And you want us for this private gig or this venue gig. This is our minimum. It it took a long time to get to that place, right? Like that was something I toiled with. But over the last 10 years, what Kirtan has allowed me to do is like, that's that world. But then when someone says, hey, we want to do a night of Kirtan at our place, because I have another band called Troubadours of Love with Ari Marsh, who you may know, mm-hmm. and TJ and Sita Rose. And that group, it's like, of course we have to get paid. Again, they're professionals too. Like they, But there's a difference in which that group is able to say, 
yeah, this is the green currency. But then we always text each other, hey, how much is the spiritual currency of this gig? And I love that about this group. Hmm. I just, I adore that. I've known Ari Marsh 12 years. And so it's really cool to be in this other half where it's like, nah, but what's it? Oh, spiritual currency. We're doing this for a fundraiser for somebody that doesn't have money to pay for their health insurance bills. Yeah, let's hmm. do it. And the joy, you, this, this goes beautifully unplanned back to something you mentioned earlier. Now that joy is a different type of raw, unrefined from the heart, right? Kirtan's supposed to be from the heart. Hmm. I'll be honest with you, I love evolution, but playing on a stage at a winery with evolution station, there is, there is a box you have to stay in. You're playing at a winery, people are drinking their wine. You kind of have to be like, okay, what song is next? Which is cool. It's like picking out a menu. It's like being a musical chef. It's great. Hmm. In Kirtan, it's like, what do we want to chant to? Like, what do we want to bring in tonight? <sighs> That's, there's nothing that can replace that. Hmm. So for me, it's, I literally look at my gig schedule in a month. If there's not enough Kirtan in there, I start saying no over here. <laughs> and I raise the Kirtan, literally. And that, you ask how I balance, to me, that, that's how I do it. I, I make sure there's, pandemic made that tough, don't get me wrong. But now as we're coming back, like I have a full March and April schedule now. And as it was getting full, I remembered my lessons to get to this point of joy with music. Hey, I think Evolution's got enough gigs in March. How about some Kirtan? Oh, good. Yeah, we'll take that Kirtan and that Kirtan. That's the balance, my friend. That's beautiful. That's really cool to hear that. It's like, yeah, I love that idea of a spiritual currency and like, well, what, what is this gig doing for my soul? And I think as artists, it it's, can be a trap of like reaching some outer sense of success. And, <laughs> you know, for me, I try to remember that like the music itself is the blessing and the other things are kind of just, well, whatever. Um, and this relates to that in the sense that like that music is, it just nourishes you. And both musics do, but there is one that's a little less tied to, you know, these commercial exchanges. And that's just, yeah, it's so cool. It's like the music itself is the, the medicine in, in all ways. And that's, that's what Kirtan's always been to me. Right. And look, I'm not telling you, we don't, some gigs, we don't get paid well and it's special, of course, but that's not the point. The point is, if I don't do enough kirtan in a month, no matter what its pay is, I don't feel right. I can't go to my day job. I think you asked a question earlier on this thread about identity. Like, I can't be a really good father if I don't feel filled up inside. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody can. Who's it? What's this I? What parent can be a good parent if they're not mostly fulfilled to then share that joy with their kid, with their wife, with their husband, whatever the case may be. Yep. And so I think that is how you navigate through the identities. Hmm. You talk about music as medicine. Hey, I'm going to balance my evolution gigs with Kirtan gigs. My heart is full. Everything else is full. Now, what family event can I do this month? Where I'm the dad? Is it camping? Like, what do I do? The way I try to bring joy to the stage this weekend how do I get my wife to do no work? She's been doing all month long. 
Mm-hmm. And how do I bring joy to this family? But without music, I don't have that taste in my mouth to know how to bring that to life. Hmm. So there's I, your identity thing. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. It's, we play a lot of roles in life, but I think for you and I, music is one of the main means of filling our cup and giving us that sense of freedom and joy and a sense of purpose. And uh, that's a very, very valuable lesson and point that that I love I love hearing you share and and I love that people are going to hear this and um, well you you're part of that right like will when you're as busy as you are before the pandemic for you to make time to come to my quote unquote it was I think the birthday before the pandemic or the one before hey I send this thing this other percussionist is coming over one of the greatest birthdays I've ever had not one of the the greatest birthday I've ever had was with you and one other guy and we had Persian food and Persian tea and my wife and kid hung out and just listened to us. We've never all played with each other before. We have a recording of it, right? We have that mm-hmm. audio recording on the Zoom recorder. And dude, that, that's medicine. Like I go back to that recording and it reminds me of you. And it reminds me that a Will Marsh was there on this day, someone of your caliber who you know how, what mad respect I have for you. So I'm saying that in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. That's music medicine, man. That's, that's how you can still have it be part of your life, no matter whether you're full-time, part-time, whatever the context. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be in this space together and uh, to be sharing it. Um, this is so kind of nuanced and personal and yet so universal, I think, to a lot of, of us artists who have to navigate this whole path and... Uh, Really, really great reflections here. Wow. Um, is there any particular project or something you're working on that maybe, you know, um, listeners will look forward to or just something you want to share creatively that's on your plate now? Yeah, I think uh, for anybody listening, if you go check out evolutionstationmusic.com, that's the project. That's there's a lot coming from that. We are now in a place with that project where it's not just about the gigs. Like that project is now trying to hook up with some nonprofits and see like, how can we, uh, how can we move some earth as my bass player calls it? Let's move some earth. Like meaning like, let's, let's make some change. Let's, let's do something as we always say, even if it's a, a, a half of a drop in a big lake or an ocean, what do we, we're ready for that. We're comfortable with this new setup. We're doing our thing. The gigs are great. The wineries, the privates are wonderful. We're going to keep that going. But now what's the way the other group kind of, it's Apex was refugee songs, right? What's Evolution's path? So um, there's a lot of announcements coming on Evolution Station Music. So yeah, just keep an eye out. We have a sign up newsletter thing, old school, because I'm old, um, for people to know what's happening. There's going to be definitely ways to support Beautiful. And what's, what's just the best way for people to find your music and stay in touch with you? With me, it's, I guess now it's, it's through that site and also Instagram. So Instagram, my, uh, is it a handle or a nickname? How old am I? Whatever mm-hmm. that is, it's Batman <laughs> underscore violin. So yeah, just hit me up on there. And that's all that, that'll cover all the gigs, right? When evolution's playing, when the next like 
fundraisers coming that to help move some earth, as we say, uh, and then the Kirtan gigs, which are thankfully starting to come back as well. So Beautiful. lots of good chanting and meditation music in our future in Southern California. Beautiful. Well, I'm excited for people to get connected with you. And yeah, I just think after the last bit we talked about, I'm like, wow, this is, I don't even know where else to go. It was just so satisfying to get um, so much depth. <laughs> so glad to um, have you chatting with me today. Thanks and, for having um, me, man. I appreciate you and everything you do. And I can't wait. I know it's going to be uh, this year, 2022. We'll be playing some music again, brother. I, I really look forward. I see that too. Thank you, brother. Peace. Well, thank you once again for your support of the World Music Podcast. I just love having valued listeners like yourself. Do take a moment to write a review and subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, as you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably gotten familiar with the jingle at the beginning and the end of the show. And I just wanted to share that that is an original composition of mine. If you are curious to hear more of my music, I would love for you to explore that. It's available on all the major streaming platforms like Spotify and iTunes, Amazon Music. And you can also find links to all of these songs and albums of mine through my website, willmarshmusic.com. I'd love to have you join me as a listener for my music as well. Thank you again. See you on the next episode.